Yeah, we've, um, we've been in Hawaii for, um, it was about two months ago we were in Hawaii for three months. So we spent three months there just asking the Lord where we're going on outreach. And um, our team was formed by all of us hearing the same thing from the Lord that we were supposed to go to college campuses across the United States. And um, so we got together, and those three months that we were in Kona, we would pray um, just for the for the locations that we would be going um, for for this um, for the campuses that we're here at um, Northwestern. Is that we're we're here right now? Okay, we're, Northwestern campus was um, was one of the ones that we were praying for. And um, guys, it's just been so amazing to be traveling and actually see the fruit of our prayers because that's what Fire and Fragrance is really all about is the marriage of prayer and missions. Um, we believe that missions were never meant to be separated from the presence of God. We were always... Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of missionaries, like, you hear about burnout and, like, people running dry and just eventually just can't be on the missions field anymore. And um, a lot of people go to the hardest and darkest places of the earth and they forget that it's it's not about serving the Lord. It's not about serving Jesus. It's about getting to know his heart. That's um that's something the Lord even said was um he's gonna ask us, you know, like did did I know you? Did you know Jesus? You know, I believe first and foremost, like it's about knowing the Lord's heart and and knowing the man Jesus. And so we believe in the marriage of prayer and missions. So that's what we're all about. Fire and fragrance, the the going and the intimacy with the Lord. So that's what we've been doing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just like, I was just worshiping, and I was like, Jesus. I was, oh, my gosh, you guys. I got so excited because I'm like, all right, if it really is just about the man Jesus, if that's all it's about, I'm like, okay, if I was just going to talk about you tonight, Lord, like, what would I say? And I was just like, I could say this and this and this. And I was just, like, rocked by, like, my, my own new revelation of Jesus. Um. Yeah, I've been in Fire and Fragrance for, like, or in YWAM. Sorry, I did a DTS that was separate from Fire and Fragrance. That's a really funny story. All DTSs are great, but <laughs> Fire and Fragrance is something special. If you ever want to leave and go do a DTS, that's what you should do. Um, yeah, so I've been in YWAM a little over a, a year. So, yeah. Oh, guy. Before that, I was a Christian for four years, and... um. I honestly don't know if I even <laughs> like I just got that rocked by by finally getting it one day. Actually, I kind of want to tell you the story of how that happened. Like um, my first night at DTS, our speaker came into the classroom and he was talking on Genesis, and I had heard like the Genesis creation story a thousand times. And then he he said he was talking about how God walked through the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And um, every day he did that, he would come into the garden and just be with Adam and Eve. And then after they made the, their mistake, their big mistake, you know, they, they ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to. I had always, like, pictured God getting super angry and just, like, rising up in anger and, like, casting us out of this garden and being like, you're shunned, like, you have to, you have to work back to me, you know, like, maybe eventually after, even after, you know, Jesus coming and having that revelation of that, I thought... All right, so now Jesus is our chance to earn it back. Like, before that, like, we were totally screwed. You know, there's no chance. But, um, yeah, he just, like, the verse after, after what, um, when God found out what they had done, it said he came into the garden in the cool of the day, just like he always did. It didn't say that he came in, like, with this, with this anger and this, like, 
he came in looking for them again, you know, and he was just like, where are you, you know, and they had hid from him because they were scared, and um, he just said, where are you guys, like, like, we ran from the Lord first, he didn't, he didn't shun us, you know, he didn't cast us out, we ran from the Lord first, and I realized that that was what I had been doing my entire life, was running from the Lord out of fear that he would reject me, out of fear that I wasn't, I was no longer good enough, you know, and just getting this revelation that the Lord really, really wants to be with me. And I wonder, like, like what would have happened if, if they hadn't hid, you know? Like, if I hadn't always ran from the Lord, like, what would have happened, you know, in my life? But um, then I finally got it, you know? Jesus loves us so much. I Oh, guys, he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. He really wants to be with us. That's his desire. Like, that's what it's about. At the end, you know, did you know him? Did you know him? Did you stop running from him? Did you did you pursue the Lord? Did you pursue his heart? And so, yeah. Oh, guys. Uh, I think I'm just going to pray for you guys right now. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit. Love you. God, thank you for these people. Just together. Oh, I just want to like... God, I just think you are. I'm in awe of how awesome you are, God. Your own arm has made salvation. God, you can't be manipulated. I can't change your opinion, Jesus, about me. You love me no less. You love me no more. God, you can't be seduced. You can't be provoked. God, you are altogether lovely. We're all together desirable. Oh, God, any creativity that I find in this earth is just a reflection of your good thing I can muster. It's just a reflection of your goodness, Jesus. God, I just ask for grace to desire you, God. I can't love you unless you help me love you because I don't understand you. God, you're so out of my league. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> God, I ask for a grace to fall on us, Lord, to pursue you, God. I ask for a grace to cover us, Jesus, so that we can pursue the living God. Jesus, we can't do this without your grace, God, so fill us with this grace. Fill us with a grace, God, a grace to be hungry, God, a grace to forsake everything else, God. Every other lover is nothing, God. We count it all as lust. We say our love for everything else is hatred in comparison with our love for you, God. We don't want anything else, Jesus. You are the one thing, God. And we just offer up this cry for more of you, God. We offer up this cry for more of your faith. We ask that you would meet us in the secret faith, in the secret place with encounter, God. We just say we've got to see your face. Lord Jesus, we've got to memorize your features, God. Mm, Jesus. Oh, yeah, God. Thank you for everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> Words. Yeah, guys. Yep. Uh, so, <laughs> I, really love, I really love the man Jesus. If anything, like, just remember that Jesus is a man. He's a real, real man, and he's madly in love with you. And just respond to that. Just go for it. Just 
just do it. <laughs> Talk to him like a real person as well. That's uh, yeah, he's so good. He's so good. Love you guys. Thanks a lot. <laughs> This might be a new revelation for you guys, but I just want to say, clearly Samantha enjoys God. Did you know that's did you know that's available for us all? <laughs> did you know that the man Christ Jesus is anointed with the oil of gladness more than anyone else? Did you know that knowing Him is the most satisfying and pleasurable way to live? I'm beginning to believe it. He's convincing me, and I pray that He just convinces all of us. No further ado, Ken Krause, come on up. I want to get intro him and hear the love him and Ken. Hallelujah. Ken's here with a bunch of his posse from Bloomington, as well as his wife and his son. And Ken's just a, a man of God that we've gotten to know in the past year and a half. And uh, incredibly blessed. He helped start the Bethany College of Missions. And he works, he's worked with Tim a little bit. Dan, worked with it, sorry. Daniel Institute. A whole bunch of stuff going on down there. We're just so in one heart with them. He's bringing the word, and we're excited. So uh, let's just pray for him. Father, we do open our hearts. God, we, we want to know you and love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your messenger tonight. We honor him. We ask for an anointing, God, to speak the word. We ask for an anointing to receive it. That in all things, Jesus Christ might be supreme in this room. In every heart and mind, God, that he might be magnified. That we might fall more in love with him. For his glory, amen. Hey, I, um, I'm so glad to be here. I wish I had a lot of time with you, and uh, I'd share lots of stories and stuff, but I I know the Lord's um, brought each one here tonight, and I just want to dwell with the minutes that I have, and so uh, first, just want to share a scripture I felt the Lord wanted to share with you uh, specifically from 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, brothers, uh, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, and I just felt like the Lord wanted to speak this to your your you have been a gift to me in the last hour, but again, over the last year, so getting to know some of you, I know I know some of you, some Bethany folks kind of showed up tonight too, so that's cool. Um, so, and, and you know, this is my first time really here at Communitas on a Tuesday night, but, but for those of you who are new, what I know about this place is it is family, and so God puts the lonely in families. And so if, if you're here tonight and you, you not only have a hunger for God, but you have a hunger for family, God's put you here. Come back. And uh, it's not my church. I have nothing to gain from saying that. So, uh, but I believe that. And, and regarding brotherly love, you have no. I can't give anything to you in that. You guys are giving to me, and I just want to thank you for that, for the blessing that you've been. Um, want to share tonight? I want to introduce my wife, Lori. If can you just stand up? She's gonna wave over here. Um, she's gonna come share too. Uh, we love to minister together. Um, we've been married. We're going on ten years this year. And um, I got married young, and I'm so glad I did. And I'm not kidding, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving into where I'm going. I got married when I was 21. I wasn't done college yet. I defied all the conventional wisdom that's out there, and it saved me. And, uh, and what my goal here tonight is, and what our objective is, is we want to redefine for the vast majority of you what you believe you're calling to be, or a big dimension of it. And you might think, you might get excited about that. Oh, he's going to tell me something glorious about my calling here on this earth, what am I supposed to do with myself? And actually, I, I want to just set you up right away and and uh, and and lower that expectation. I'm going to call you to die. <laughs> and, um, 
and do some things that nobody really cares about and people will raise their eyebrows at and think you're weird for. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll, actually, we'll actually devastate some of you tonight, but my prayer is that five years from now that it'll bear fruit. Some of you are going to get excited about it because the Lord's already deposited some things in you uh, that, that have prepared you for this. But, but, but for some of you tonight, this is, this is tough stuff, and I love, I love everything that you all here are about. My guess is what we share tonight might be a little outside the norm for you. And the reason for that is uh, if, if you were to do a study of the, the perceived relevance of it, it would hit like a 1 on a scale of 10. Uh, it, it's, what, I'm, what we're going to share tonight is not perceived to be entirely relevant to you all, but, but I believe it's, 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 it's in, intensely relevant because of the age that we live in, but, also, but, but, but because of, because of the, the, the everlasting plan of God that has never changed in any generation. And, uh, and so when I tell you that I got married young, I was 21, and I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know what I was getting into exactly. Um, have you ever heard the term bachelor till the rapture? That was me. I, man, I got, I got saved at 16 years old. I was a mess. My family was a mess. My parents have been divorced a couple times and remarried a couple times and just grew up in an absolutely chaotic, dysfunctional, borderline abusive environment. Couldn't wait to get out. Uh, I, was, I was indulging in every sinful activity I could get, get avail, make available to me until, I, until God radically pulled me out of that got born again, born of the Spirit of God, start, started actually disliking all the sin I was engaging in instead of wanting more, struggled to get out of that. But, uh, but, but the Lord seriously set me free within those next few years. And I had just seen so much of garbage, the, the, the worldly garbage that I was involved in that I just, just wanted God. I wanted no distractions. And to me, women were the primary thing to avoid. <laughs> And so I'd come a bachelor till the rapture. I don't even believe in the rapture anymore. And uh, I did. <laughs> this is the best I could come up with then. But, but as my friends joked a few years later, I was really just bachelor till the capture. And, uh, and I met this, this girl named Laura. And we were students at Bethany College of Missions together. And uh, you know how the story goes. We got married. Five years later, I'm driving home. We owned a little townhome. My wife was gone out of town for a couple days. Uh, I won't bore you with the details, but I grew up on a farm in northern Canada, and uh, I had no social life whatsoever. Uh, I had no social skills, and those two were related. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so growing up, I just had limited to no freedom. I wasn't the average, you know, kind of, you know, American kid who could drive at 16, we were poor, and I didn't have a car, and even if I did, I couldn't go anywhere because I had to work, and if I did go somewhere, I smelled, and it just didn't go, but it wasn't good. So I had entire, like, I had basically a restrictive upbringing, not because my parents were strict, because I had to be on a farm. And then I entered this discipleship program down in East Texas uh, with, with a ministry, and they were, they were really strict, and I loved it because it was normal for me. But, but I had no opportunity to sin, and so over the, then I went to, to Bible school, and then I got married, and I was three years into marriage, and, and over those years, from getting saved until that point, I, I had come to believe that I was quite holy. <laughs> but what I had, what I'd failed to realize was that 
that in large part that was because I had been sheltered from opportunity to sin. And there's a big difference between between holiness and and lack of opportunity being thrown into the fire of temptation. And I'm not saying that's all of your your situations, but that was mine. And I'm driving home. We've been married for years. My wife was out of town, and there's a huge casino uh, past where I had right where I had to drive past to get home. And I had an incredible temptation to go to this casino. I'd never gambled in my life. I think it's stupid. I, I, I knew that what went on there was not good. I'd never even thought about it until that day. But it was the first time that I realized I had freedom. And I really could have and nobody would have known. Now, most people grow up, you know, at, at some point in your teenage years, you have that, that experience. I, I, I just hadn't. And, uh, and I called my friend. I was like, I'm totally embarrassed. And I didn't want to tell him, but I didn't want to go to the casino, so I figured I had to tell him. So I was like, I'm tempted, and I don't want to do this, and I'm not going to do it now that I told you, so I had to tell you, and it's done, and I, I never wanted to go. You know, that was that. Was that. But, um, but here's why I want to tell you that I'm glad I got married when I did, is because marriage is volunteer, voluntarily committing yourself to restraint. Marriage is voluntarily committing yourself to restraint, if you understand marriage right and you're committed to it. Most of the world's not. Now you might think, oh, that's bad because restraint, that's a bad word, right? We don't like that word. It's a great word. And we all need it. And if you're, and if, you know, again, I, I say this isn't entirely for everybody because I understand that the Lord calls some people to singleness and there, there's, there's a good chance that some in this room will. Statistically, the, the vast majority of people get married and I believe are called to be married. And, uh, and I believe it's God's design mechanism to put restraint on your life. And if you're not married and you're in your 20s, then you need to realize that you're an anomaly in the history of God's creation of human beings who are in their 20s and not married. It's hard to be in your 20s and not married, isn't it? Is that difficult? It is. You know why it's difficult? Because it's not the way it was meant to be. It just isn't. Our society in the West is really screwed up. The average age of getting married has gone up over the last 60 years from the low 20s to now men are not getting married on average until, or, until they're 28 years old. See, at 28, you should have, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be still frittering your life away with an Xbox and Halo at 27 years old. So the, 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 <laughs> that's not what, that's not what your youth was intended to be invested in. You should have built half a kingdom by then. You should have done some significant things in your life when you were unhindered by the, by the burdens of life. And if that's you, man, I'd encourage you to trash it when you get home tonight or sell it at least and don't buy a new one. It's not, it's, it's not a good investment of your life. And so if you're not married and, and you realize, man, God, marriage is God's design to, to apply restraint to my life. And, and maybe you're thinking, man, I'd love to be married, but God, you know, like there's nobody else that agrees right now. Uh, then, then press on. Cause I realize that's. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm with you, but she's not. And, uh, and so, so I understand the dynamics there. I'm not telling you to, that, that, it's a, that it's an easy fix and you should just go flip the switch and get her done, you know, in a hurry. But what I am, what I am very intentionally tackling is a mindset that is so prevalent in our society and has infiltrated the thinking of the church so significantly that we think it's weird when people get married young. I, I've officiated an enormous amount of weddings in the last five, six years. And the younger they are, the better, because I look at them and I say, this is what you were meant for. 
You're not going to have to be 25 in college with a bunch of young people committing consistent debauchery and have to face that temptation. You're going to go home at the end of the day. You're going to have responsibilities. And if you don't man up to them, then you're a moron and you should just, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's good. That's so good. You don't have to deal with all of that stuff. And so I'm just getting started here because that's actually not what I'm saying. It's just a prerequisite. What I, what I just shared is a prerequisite to what we're going to share tonight. And that is that God... Actually, I'm going to ask you the question first. What does God want? And there's a lot of answers to that. So you can think about it. But what's, what, what does God want? He wants worshipers. He wants us. He wants our heart. I'm going to read you a scripture from Malachi chapter 3, chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. It says in verse 13, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with the pleasure from your hands. And you ask why. It is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. Notice youth. 28 is not youth, by the way. Did you know that the new healthcare package actually requires healthcare companies to keep children on their parents' plan until they're 27 years old? That's, that is the ultimate uh, disgrace of a society that, that we would mandate that people stay children and dependent on their parents until they're 27. They should almost have grandkids at that point. Almost. So here's why God doesn't listen to you, is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner. The wife of your marriage covenant has not the God, the one God made you. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Is the question Malachi poses. In the midst of realizing that God is no longer hearing the prayers of his people in Judah in this specific instance... What does the one God want? Godly offspring. I bet few of you came up with that answer on your own when I asked it a few minutes ago. What does God want? God wants godly offspring. So now you see why the marriage bit was, was a prerequisite. Now some of you are going to spiritualize this right away. You already have. Yeah, I want spiritual children. That's good. Have lots of those too. But it's hard to be the, uh, 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 it's hard to have spiritual children who have not yet been born physically, right? And uh, and when you look at God's plan for the covenant of family, it is in it is in the heart of God and has been from the beginning of creation to have a godly offspring. That that the glory of who He is would be manifest in a people who perpetuate themselves in the physical, in the physical. Somebody was, I think. Can't, can't remember her name, but she was sharing. But God is a man. <laughs> Did you know that in Isaiah 53, the scripture that we quote all the time about the suffering of Jesus, that predicted a thousand years before it ever happened, the agony of him on the cross. Did you know that one of the key elements, and I don't have the reference here, you can look it up in Isaiah 53, of him suffering is that he had no offspring to speak of. Do you understand that? See, we don't think that's the point of suffering because we think, oh, you don't have kids, you don't have kids. Then you're, you know, you can do lots of stuff. You're supposed to want kids. You were made to produce a godly offspring, every one of you. 
It ought to be in your heart because it's in the heart of God. And, and, and a key element of the suffering of Jesus Christ is that he had none. And then yet the fulfillment of that prophecy is that, is that there's, a, there's a whole kingdom of people who are his. See, we don't, we don't mourn with the fact that Jesus didn't have any children because we just think that's all right. Lots of opportunities. Then you can play Xbox longer. <laughs> you, can, you can waste your life and your money on all the, the glitz and the glamour that the world offers you instead of laying it down as a sacrifice for the sake of what? A godly offspring. I told you it's not going to appeal to your flesh. It's not going to, it's not going to garner the praise of man. But, but my wife and I are convinced, and she'll share some of our story in a little bit, that the Lord, um, that, that, that our generation has been so duped on the issue of children. And you might think, why, why are we talking about this now? We're not married. You know, I, I realize the majority of you aren't married. I wish I could have been talking to you about it 10 years ago. I think, I think eight-year-olds need to hear this. We talk to, to our children about it all the time. I, 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 I dream of my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. Why? Because I want a godly offspring. I don't, you know, I, the Lord may come before then, but then I want my sons to be ready to be martyrs. And my daughters to prophesy. And to declare the coming kingdom in the midst of tribulation. And if it's not them, I want my grandchildren to do that. Why? Because at some point in my generational line, somebody put their foot down and said, enough is enough with the garbage. We're going to be a people committed to God. I can tell you my story. I alluded to it already. I, there's, no, there's no lineage that I have to speak of here that I get to ride on the shoulders of. I, I feel like a baby sometimes trying to figure this whole thing out because I, I, I don't have the honor, or the, the privilege of, of, of having having this behind me, but but that's not going to stop me from keeping it going forward. God uh, God is a God who loves to fill things. Do you know this about God? He fills everything. Ephesians one says that He fills everything in every place. I just love that. It's His nature. Doesn't like empty stuff. So I like that this room is full. If you you know the 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 parable Jesus speaks of in Luke fourteen, I believe it is. Go out into the streets and invite people. We did. They didn't come. Well, by golly, get out there again and find some really poor people. People who can't resist the invitation just because there's food here. Go get them. That's why the poor enter the kingdom a lot more quickly than the wealthy. It's because they need stuff and, and we're going to love them. So go get them. Why? And it says at the end of it, because I want my house to be full. God loves a full house. What does he do? He fills us with his spirit, right? He loves to fill. He fills everything. Um, Isaiah 7 talks about the increase of his government having no end. He loves more and more and more. He loves it. And you know what else he loves? Full homes. Full wounds. Onto a full kingdom. A full quiver. But look. Genesis 1.28. It's the first command. And it stands. Genesis 1.28, you know what it says. What? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, you think about that. <laughs> it's all that he had to command this to people, right? Have you, I mean, this is a bit of an aside, but I think it's worth it. Uh, you know, human sexuality is an interesting thing when you think about it, right? Because at the end of the day, kids are expensive. Kids are, uh, well, they're children. And so they're not adults. Therefore... It's a challenge to relate to them. I come home to my wife sometimes. We have four. There are six, four, two, and Amos is here. 
And, uh, you know, after after eight, nine hours of dialoguing with 642 and babies, year olds, you know, a little adult conversation can go a long ways. And uh, that's how I minister to my wife. I just talk. It's my, it's my priestly duty. Mostly just listen. Because I'm act, you know, and so, so children are costly. And so you have to ask the question, uh, uh, <laughs> actually, you don't have to ask the question. You have to make the observation. It's a simple observation. When you consider human sexuality and God's heart, God's desire to, to, to fill all things in all places, that, that, that the earth would be filled, filled. He, he wants the earth filled. He wants it filled up. Not enough people yet. The only reason he hasn't come back yet, not enough people yet. It's not full enough yet. I like full. God likes full. It's for Second Peter three. It says the only reason that Christ has yet to return. Patience unto what? Unto salvation. Why? More. I want more. Where are they coming from? Where are they going to come from? So this whole sexuality thing, like maybe you didn't notice, but sex, sexuality. There's a strong drive in humans to have sex, right? Onto reproduction. And some of you think it's a curse because you're like, you told me not to, and here I am, and I want to, but I can't. And, you know, it's a struggle for us, this whole sexuality thing. You know, God made it so strong in you to ensure that he would have offspring. I think he made it pleasurable to ensure, you know, I've, I've often, I mean, God could have done it anyway, right? You could have had to, like, shoot off your left toe or something to have a kid. <laughs> Okay, God, I'll be fruitful and multiply. I don't know. Like it, it could have been a pain-inflicting thing that we didn't want to do, but finally we made that decision, and boy, we are going to be obedient. But he made sex. Why? I want lots of kids. I'm going to make them so they just keep wanting to do it. It's God's design. It is God's design. That's why, that's why at the age that you all are in, it's, it's so prominent. For you, why? Because you were wired for it. You ought to be with your husband and your wife. And just a little pastoral admonition to some of you: if if you're sitting, I don't know, almost I almost know none of you, so I have the freedom to speak liberally here. But like, you can clean up the mess, Clint. Uh, <laughs> you can officiate the weddings. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I'm 26 and I'm halfway through my master's program, but I'm not quite all the way through yet, and so I'm not sure that I want to, you know, buy the ring and make the commitment because, boy, I just don't know what life's going to hold. Man up. Just go buy it tomorrow and get her done. It's time. If you're, some, I, again, I don't know any of you, so I have full liberty to say this, but some of you are in situations where you should have been married two years ago to the girl that's sitting beside you, and I'm speaking specifically to you men. Go get married. Go get married. I'm not done college yet. I don't care. <laughs> Some of you are married. Hallelujah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I love it. It's breaking the mold, man. That's good. Now, I'm not saying, you know... The, the, the statistics out there are the earlier you get married, the more likely you are to get divorced. And so I'm just, that's because you got a bunch of people who've been bouncing around between, you know, uh, potential marriage mates for so many years since they were seven, 
that they don't have any concept of what this means anymore. And yeah, of course you're setting up for disaster. So those of you who are totally sexually addicted and totally engrossed in your sin and have no concept of and no experience in having a godly relationship, yeah, put on the brakes. I'm not talking to you. Go, go, go have two successful years with God in purity. Do that first. Get your head on straight. Think right about this stuff. Get into the kind of relationships that will help you break through some of those things. Then go by the way. <laughs> um, God wants a godly offspring. We live in a day and age where, where, where there's such a, a forceful uh, um, resistance to that. How many of you heard about overpopulation when you grew up in, high, in school? It's kind of the socialist issue of the day when I was in high school. Over that acid rain. Never hear about acid rain anymore, do you? Do you remember that? Maybe you're too young. Yeah. Did you? It's all. It's not even global warming anymore. It's global climate something or other. They ch disruption. I think that's the real name for it. Ten years from now, we won't even know what that means. <clears throat> Al Gore will have moved on into the horizon. But anyways, so those were the big social issues of the day. Namely, overpopulation. We don't have enough resources to feed all these people. So what's the answer? Less people. Less people. The birth control movement. Planned Parenthood. The, the, and, and you might think, oh, you can't go there. I'm going to go there. The abortion issue. Why does abortion happen? Why has, why, I mean, abortions always happen. Read the Old Testament. It happened a lot. But, but for a nation to come to the point where they made that the norm and legalized it 30 years ago is, 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 is enough for me that I think, God, how have you spared us this long? How have you held back your wrath? I would be shocked if he didn't in the next 20 years. If I was God, I would have snapped a long time ago. I'm glad I'm not. And he's right and I'm wrong. But he's so merciful. That we would have aborted 45, and when I say I hate that word, we've murdered 45 million children under the auspice of, 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 of it being legal and a woman's right. A woman has a right not to have sex, too, you know. That's a woman's right. I'm going to read you a few quotes from people in the abortion movement. This is from a judge in 1973 uh, um, during the, the, the classic case, Harry Black. Blackman, the states are not free under the guise of protecting maternal health or potential life to intimidate women into continuing pregnancies. Intimidate women into continuing pregnancies. See, I'm not even talking about abortion, but I have to talk about abortion. The spirit of the age that we live in hates children. It hates life. That's why this is tough for some of you. It's because you've been around it your whole life and it's the climax of it is in the abortion issue. So we can talk for hours about this, but, but this is the real, the real crux of it. Listen to some of these quotes. Listen to Michael. This is the philosophy of the age. You need to be able to sniff this out and, 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 and put it to death quickly. You need a sharp mind for these things. Michael Tucker said, if the anti-abortion movement took a tenth of the energy they put into the noisy theatrics and, and devoted it to improving the lives of children who have already been born into lives of poverty, violence, and neglect, they could make a world shine. Lots of Christians would buy into that. It's garbage. It's garbage. That's the philosophy of the age. Don't have kids take care of the ones that are here already. Now, should we take care of the ones that are here already? Absolutely. At the expense of not having more? No. Why? God wants a godly offspring. He wants a full earth. If it was full already, he would have, he would have 
close the chapter on reproduction. He will. That day's coming. He hasn't yet. Somebody said, of course abortion isn't right, but it is even less right to bring unwanted children into lifelong suffering and to strip women of their choice. Making abortion illegal is not the way to prevent it. There is a much larger picture that starts with much deeper roots. You know what? It is right to bring children into lifelong suffering. I, just, I, really, I really want to challenge you with this thought. Better a child who's alive suffering than a child murdered. Suffer away. The poor you will always have among you. You know, you know because, it, it, thanks Clint, the, the, the resolution to that, because some of you think that's offensive. That's not right. You know why it's right? Because the judge is coming back. The judge will come and he will judge. He will establish justice in the earth. The oppressors will be brought down. And the afflicted, oh, they will be brought up. He loves to bring up the afflicted. Blessed are the, the what? The poor. Blessed are the, why? So we can help them get out of their poverty? Not always. So we can get poor with them. Maybe we should learn from the poor instead of trying to change them all the time. Edward Abbey said, abolition of a woman's right to abortion when and if she wants amounts to compulsory maternity, a form of rape by the state. Compulsory maternity. It's not compulsory. You voluntarily got yourself into that situation. But that's the spirit of the age. The pro-choice movement, is, 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 it epitomizes the spirit of the age that we live in as it relates to children. You can't force a woman to, 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 to sustain a pregnancy that she voluntarily got herself into. And I would say even if she didn't voluntarily get herself into. And you might think, you're a man. How can you speak on this? Men, you have to speak on this. You're the answer. See, that's, that's part of the philosophy of the age. Listen to this. Planned Parenthood has become one of my great enemies lately. I, uh, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Where is it? Ann Rand, I think she said. I heard some moans. Good. She said 77% of anti-abortion leaders are men. 100% of them will never be pregnant. A lot of people think that's catchy. I think it's a calling. <laughs> I think we need some more. I think we need men who are not afraid in a society that is, you know, for a man to make a, a strong statement on the issue of abortion and a woman's right, it, it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost illegal. <laughs> It's certainly politically incorrect. Men, you have to speak on this. You, men, you are the difference makers on this issue. Come on. You know why? Because most of these women haven't totally bought into it as much. They need your leadership. There's a lot of the, – the, your wife needs leadership on this, your future wife if you're not married. Your wife needs you as a man to say, honey, God wants a godly offspring. We're going to be committed to that. We might not have all the things that we could have if we didn't. Ultimately, the reason we don't have kids in our society, children in our society at the rate that we used to is because we just are a lot more materialistic. We just want more stuff. Trade a kid for a boat. That's what it comes down to. That, that's that's the, the, the ultimate exchange that we're making. Because we will not be inconvenienced by them. Have you ever read Psalm 127? Blessed is the man who, who bears sons in his youth whose quiver is full of them, he'll not be ashamed at the gate of his city. See, because they're an army. I, 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 the day of the Lord is at hand, people, and this issue of having children is so related to that. I have a close set of friends who uh, are totally committed to the prayer movement and totally 
got bought into the to the reality of, of the coming of the Lord. And they said to me a few years ago, Ken, because of that, we don't want to have kids. Because we don't want them to be, we, we don't want to be divided in that. We don't want our ministry in the last days to be divided by the, the need to care for children. And, and with great compassion because of my friendship with them, I said, oh, all the opposite. Have have dozens if you can. I don't know. I'm not telling, I'm not putting a number on it. But 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 the the day of the Lord is at hand, and we need we need you need not be ashamed at the gate when He comes. I want my sons to declare the coming of the kingdom, and my daughters to prophesy. We have four children. Elijah. They're all martyrs, and they're all prophets. That's their names. Elijah, John, Abel, Justice. Noelle Scarlet, that her name is, is declaring the Lord until, until he, the name of the Lord till he returns, and Amos James. It's not on accident. We need it. If, if the Lord's return is at hand, then, then, then we're not, because I know we're at least seven years out, right? Got that. I'm, I'm, I'm not claiming to be a prophet of any sub- substance here, but I know we're seven years out. Just looking at the, the trajectory, I guess we're a little more than that, but I guarantee seven. Because we haven't yet entered the tribulation. And in case that's a theological challenge for you, I think we're all going to be here for it. So, so remember that. And we're going to stand and it'll be the, 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 glor- the most glorious day for the church ever. When we stand in the face of persecution. If you want more on that, come to my class on suffering in January. A little commercial for that. <laughs> um, but, but it's not just us. We need, we need a generation after us. To stand in the midst of that day. We pray for our children that they'll stand in the day of trouble. That they'll not back down. That they'll speak boldly. That they'll lay their lives down. That's okay. That's what they're for. That's why we want lots of them. So if you lose a few, you still got some. God wants to fill this earth. And again, I know this is likely outside of the normal message that you hear. But I. But the the the. I got Laura. Come on up, Laura. Come. Laura's going to share a bit more of our story. She is by far the better preacher. And uh, let me just pray for you, Father, in Jesus' name. I ask, Lord, for for. On on an issue that is so physical, it's so like material, and I love it. Not ashamed of that. That's you're coming to establish a material, physical kingdom. You want physical, material people that you resurrect from the dead to be there. God, we want to add to that. Oh, we want to add. We want to multiply. We want a full earth, full kingdom, a house of God that is full, full homes, full families. Lord, in Jesus' name. Let me just share one one other little little nugget here. Uh, if you're any of your readers, if you're interested in this issue, I'd encourage you to read the, the book. It's called America Alone by Mark Stein, S-T-E-Y-N. Um, so just, just for the sake of whatever, a lot of this came out of there. Christians need to get this. What I just shared today is something that as Christians in the West, we've bought into, our, into the culture of materialism and selfishness and yes. comfort. And we've neglected the, the, what, what is really on the Lord's heart. There's a group of people on the earth today that haven't forgotten this, and they're following a false religion called Islam. Western Europe is a fascinating study in this issue. Um, It takes a 2.1% birth rate 
to sustain a society. What does that mean? For every two adults in one generation, to sustain a society, you need to produce, for every two adults, 2.1 children. Why is that? Because some die young, and there's always wars and stuff. And so, so you need 2.1. That's, that's what sustains a population. If you have less than that, you have a declining population. That has all kinds of consequences economically and sociologically and stuff. It's fascinating, but not, not the point. The point is this, is that the more that you have, the more that every two individual adults of reproductive capability have, the, 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 the ripple effect of that is, is astronomical in two generations, never mind in three, four, five, six, or seven. And so in, in Western Europe today, in, in uh, the, the most severe case, I believe, is Greece has a 1.1 1 .1, uh, birth rate, percent birth rate. Sorry, not percent, a, a birth rate of 1.1. .1. What does that mean? For every two adults, 1.1 children. Mm -hmm. Essentially, their society, Greek societies of native Grecian people is being cut in half every generation, every 25 years. What happens when you play that out for a few generations? You don't have many people left. wonder why they're on the brink of economic collapse. Spain, Germany, France, 1.3. Few of them eke up to 1.5%, but you, you, they have growing populations. In your lifetime, you will witness the Islamification of Western Europe. They've already lost the war. It's not an issue of if, it's an issue of when. The German government, number of their officials have declared publicly that by the year 2030, they will be an Islamic nation ruled by Sharia law. German governing officials have said that publicly. They recognize the only thing that would ever cause that to change would be an all-out war, and the West... The civilized, enlightened utopians don't have the guts for it, and they don't have the minds for it, and by the time they get there, they'll lose even if they try. I, I, my, my bet is they don't try, and it, it's done overnight. And we're seeing it in Britain already. We're seeing it in France. We're seeing these issues come up. Now, that has, that has significance from a nationalistic perspective, but let's just take, take it. Oh, sorry. In the midst of all those Western European countries uh, with massively increasing populations... See, when you don't have enough of your own people, what do you have to do? You have to import people, right? So that's what they're doing. Guess where they're all coming from? The Middle East. Guess whose plan it was from a long time ago? The Muslims, because they want to take over society, right? They have an eschatological grid where they're going to rule the world. <laughs> it's going to be an awful surprise for them when Jesus comes back. I'm, I'm glad. See, we have an eschatological uh, framework that trumps it all. Because he, that horse and that sword and that fireman, yeah. like I, I'm, I'm not an, I would never do what this pastor down in Florida attempted to do to burn Qurans, but Jesus will. He's gonna burn them all. That's not our job. That's not our job. But he's coming back, and Muhammad will be put in his place. See, our God rules. We sing it. It's a nice song. Gives us goosebumps. But he will rule. <laughs> I'm excited about that. In those Western European nations now, you know what the birth rate of, the, of, of Muslims as an average is? Compared to the 1.1, 1.3, 1.5? 8.1. .1. Two adults, 8.1 children. Guess who wins? Two generations, that's all it takes. That's why I'm telling you, you'll see it in your lifetime. When your grandchildren are growing up, yet Western Europe will be Sharia-run Islamic nations. For the, the vast majority of them will be. Apart from something that I'm not foreseeing. And I'm not trying to prophesy. I'm just analyzing statistics. 
take all of that. I don't really care about the politics of it for the sake of this conversation. That's not my point. Apply that into the kingdom. You know, we're the people of God. What does he want? He wants a godly offspring. Let's have them. Let's have lots of them. Let's take all the ones that nobody else wants and take them too. You know what I'm saying? Some of you think, oh, what about, you know, some of you here probably will, will yearn to have children and you can't, and I can't explain it, except that, boy, if you can't have your own, take everybody else's that they don't want. Take them all. Fill up big houses, build additions so you can have churches and bigger homes full of babies. Well, thank you for having us here. We're glad to be here. Um, Ken said, I'm Laura. And uh, yeah, we're, thanks for having us. Um, let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you that you're here and that you're among us, God. And I ask, Lord, for a continuation of your spirit, of your ministry spirit, God. I want to ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless us tonight, God, and that you would bless wombs and that you would bless the men and women in this room, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you remove the strongholds that has bound us, God. I pray that you would move blinders off our eyes, Lord, and off our ears in Jesus' name. And I ask that we would hear you by your spirit, Lord, if it's a still, small voice or if it's a shout. I ask that we would hear you in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless my brothers and sisters tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, uh, it's really difficult that we don't have a long time. So, okay. Um, <laughs> what do I do? Um, yeah, this this topic is a treasure to my heart, but it, it's not it's not just because I love the children that I have. But I do love them. We have four children. Their names are Elijah, John, as Ken said. I want to say them, and I want to say them again because they wouldn't be here had the Lord not done the work that he's done in my heart. Elijah, John, who's six, and Abel, Justice, who's four, uh, Noel, Scarlet. But, uh, yeah, just got to keep moving. I have so many stories I want to tell, but anyway, Noel, Scarlet, she's two, and then Amos, James, and he's uh, three months old. Um, and they're, they're a gift to us. <sighs> So just going to fast forward. Um, we were, um, we met, uh, well, yeah. I want you guys to know the age that you live in and, and can really hit that. And I want to just reiterate that you have to know what you have grown up in and what you've heard and the images that you've heard or the, the images that you've seen and the things that you've heard. You have to know that those have impacted you, even if you haven't bought into them. And even if they've been in the secular world and not in the church, you have to know that you've grown up hearing that. You've grown up with these impressions. You've grown up seeing these things, and they have affected you, and uh, a lot of them, I mean, you can look on them outside the church, but a lot of it has infected the church, and this mindset and this rejection of parenting and motherhood and marriage has infected the church, and it's disgusting, and, and, but the Lord has healed me of it, and so I want to share that with you tonight. We were, we were missionaries in Tajikistan, and we lived, Ken and I lived in this Muslim nation, um, and we were in, uh, not like the... Tajikistan is on top of Afghanistan, for those of you who don't know. I never heard of it before I went there. And so it sits on top of Afghanistan. And we, we were there, um, and we were not in the big city. We were in like kind of like, I don't know, just a smaller town of Tajikistan. So we're surrounded in this Muslim nation, surrounded by people who love Islam. And, and a, a, some of them were, you know, not passionate about it, but some of them were. And then we lived in this old 
kind of worn down apartment building with all our other Tajik friends, every one of them, every single one of them, if you ask them what they were, they would say, I'm Muslim. And uh, not only were we there, uh, the apartment above us and the apartment right beside us had like an Islamic church in there and their, their what is the head of the, their church? Their imam was like our neighbor. So if you're all about like spiritual strongholds or walking in the enemy's camp, that's how I felt. <laughs> like no Christian anywhere near and it's Ken and I. And I, I, the Lord called me into intercession, and so I love to pray and I love to war in those places, but talk about feeling alone, go live in that apartment with us. So we're in that apartment, and um, and uh, I, we had been married two years, and when we first did our marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, they said, how many children do you want? And I wrote down the number four on the form. I think Ken wrote down the number five. To this day, I have no idea why I wrote down that number. I, I had, um, as time went along, I realized that when he would say, hey, Lori, you want to have kids? It, it made me furious inside. It, it tricked something in me that, that wanted me to, that I wanted to explode in anger at the notion that I would stay home and take care of children. And, and I realized as time went on that I was sick. And, you know, I want to point out, too, that I know the Lord and his sovereignty did not heal me of this prior to marriage. That marriage was actually an institution where he brought healing. And I, I just want to give another plug for marriage real quick. So a, lot of, a lot of the argument that you hear against it is, oh, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Let me just say, you do not know what qualifies you for being ready for marriage. You don't know that. How do you ever know you're qualified? Like you've covered all your issues or you haven't sinned for a certain amount of time. But the Lord, I love that he brought me into marriage to heal this issue. And, and he continues to sanctify you in marriage. So it's not like I got married and I was in a great place. He continues to sanctify me and purify me. And if you want to be made holy, which I believe... I, that, that that is the heart's desire of you guys here, that you want to be made like Jesus. It is one of the most sanctifying places where you can, where you get, um, where he can go after heart issues that never would have surfaced when I was single. And so it was a beautiful thing. So anyway, we're married, and the, as time goes on, I realize that I'm sick. And in the same way that an anorexic needs a hospital, in the same way that um, an alcoholic needs the hospital, in the same way that a porn addict needs help, I needed help, and I realized that it, this thing was huge. I got to the place where I couldn't speak the words, Ken, I want children. I, I literally couldn't say those words. Um, and uh, sometimes I'd even try because I was like, well, it's the right thing to say, even though I don't. But, like, just speak truth, you know, speak truth. And I, I couldn't even speak truth. And um, I would even say, well, let's have lots of kids in an orphanage, and we can all raise them in an orphanage. Like, I wanted ministry, and I wanted Jesus more than anything else, more than anything else, anything, anything. My life was his, and I'd given it to him repeatedly, and I loved the Lord. I wanted him more than anything else, but there was something with that issue, and I didn't know what it was. So we're living in Tajikistan. Ken says to me one day early on, we finally kind of get to the heart that Laura's really got a problem, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I didn't know, I, but he had realized my wife is sick. There's something where she, she can't even connect with this issue of being a mother, and we're sitting there, and, um, and he just says to me one morning, he says, Laura, I was praying for you today. And I felt like the Lord told me he was going to heal you in one month. And I love sharing that because I want you to know that would be like me saying to the person who starved themselves their whole life, uh, you will be healed in one month. Or the person that's lived with depression and darkness and self-hatred, you will be delivered in one month. And what, what increased that was here I was in a Muslim nation. Now at Bethany, the ministry that we've been part of for years, you know, I have so many props there. We have like this 24-hour, well, it was. 
and we're working on it again, 24-hour like prayer room, and we have um, you know, all these Christian radio stations, and I have all these Christian resources, and talk about mentors. I have these amazing mentors that have poured their life into me, and God didn't say, I'm going to heal you at Bethany where you have all these resources. He said, I'm going to put you in a Muslim nation to show that my mighty right hand can reach into the Muslim nation, and it can heal your wounded and your broken heart. It is not too hard for me to go past all the demonic whatever that is living in the Islam stronghold. It is not too hard for me to descend into this apartment building and to deliver you of this. I can reach you. My hand is mighty to save. And he spoke that to me. When Ken spoke that to me, I thought, I want this. If a flicker of hope kind of ignited in my heart, like I could have this. But I thought, how? How is that even possible here? You know, but one day I went to have my quiet time in this ugly little apartment that we lived in. And, uh... Again, if we had more time, I, I'm such a painter that I, I'd love to just paint the picture of what this apartment looked like, but we don't have time. Anyway, so I go into my ugly little room there, and, uh, and I, I pulled out my journal, and at the back of my journal out falls like a folded prefab prayer from, I don't know if you guys know Dutch Sheets, but he was kind of a forerunner in intercession. And anyway, so a prayer falls out by him, and I'm just laying there not really focused on what I'm supposed to be doing, and so I was like, I'll read the prayer. And I read it, and it was about tearing down strongholds in a city. And I'm just reading it, and it was like, Lord, come, you know, we claim this land for you, da, da, da. I don't even remember what it said. But as I'm reading it, something happens, and there was an exchange of the Holy Spirit in that moment that changed my life forever. And as I read it, I was just struck with this thought. I have cursed my womb repeatedly by my words that I don't want children. I'd even, I would even say, if I have children, they'll probably die. I don't even know why I said that. Like, that's just straight demon, just uh, stupidness. I, I would, or I would say, you know, anyway, I would just speak stuff. And the other point of revelation I realized is no one in my family line wanted children right away. I, I don't know why I never put that together, but we all heard it growing up. Dad's like, I always knew children would be expensive, da, 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 so I didn't have them, you know, da, you know, and he always had reasons for this. And so I'd heard that. And then I, I remember hearing his father never wanted children, and I was like, some fire just kind of ignited in me, and I was like, I have aligned myself with the devil. Enough. And in a Holy Spirit-inspired moment that I'd never read anywhere, I'd never seen anybody do this, it was a Holy Spirit encountering me in Tajikistan. I laid my hands on my womb, and I said, I renounce any curse, anything, anything in the name of Jesus Christ I've spoken over my womb. And I cut that off, and I asked that this womb would be blessed, and I speak life over this womb. Nobody taught me how to do that. It was a moment that God encountered me in. And I want you to know, it wasn't like fireworks, you know, I was like, that was good, that was solid. Okay, let's do something else, you know. And, uh, but the next day, the next day I woke up and I was pulling out pictures of, for something that we were doing there. And I pulled out a picture of a mother and a father and a baby, my best friend and her husband, and she's infertile actually, and the child that they had adopted. And I, I pulled it out and I looked at it, and for the very first time ever in my life, I was just pulling it out to get ready for a class I was teaching, I saw this baby, her name's Lindsay. And I wanted a child. Just like, it was like a maternal instinct. Just turned on. That was never there before. It was just turned on. And I want to say to you women, that I don't care if you never had children. Because he has called some of you to singleness. And I used to beg him for that call in my life. It's a precious call. It's a beautiful call. But even if your womb never bears children, there's a maternal instinct that he's put on you just because you're a woman. That you bear and that you carry in the body of Christ that is glorious. It's beautiful. 
And it has been so stripped from us where we want to dress like a man and act like a man. It's been so stripped from our culture. And you don't even realize it. You don't even see it. Like, like there's this cool book out for children right now called Dangerous Book for Boys. And every little boy loves it. It's, it's awesome. It's like how to tie, how to go fishing, how to boy stuff, like build a, build a, a tree house, blah, 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 just boy stuff. It's like 200 things about boy stuff. And so they were pressured, these publishers were pressured to write one for girls, right? You open the girl one, and it's it's identical to the boy one. And you know the sad thing is, as I've, t- I've told this story a number of times because it bothers me. I pick it up because I want to get it for me, and I want to get it for my daughter. And I, I open it up, and I'm like, this is the same thing that's in the boy stuff. And somebody said, what would you put it in, Laura? And I said, the sad thing is I don't even know. I don't even know. Like Maybe I could come up with like 10 things. But I, my, my femininity was so stripped from me. My parents were divorced. My, my dad, and it's not hard to figure out my testimony, my dad and my brother, I grew up with men. And my dad's is like this great guy, and I love him, and I still love him to this day, but I wanted to be like dad. I didn't have any woman in my life. And so dad's this like great leader and preacher, and that's what I wanted to be, and that's what I wanted to do. And so I, um, I, it's like I don't even, and you guys don't even know, so many of you didn't grow up hearing hearing what does it mean to be a woman what does it mean to be a woman and i want to tell you one of the most beautiful things to be a woman that is distinctly female is to bear children to bear children men can never do that is an honorable thing it is an honorable thing to give your womb and your body over to the lord talked about sanctification some of you in here love jesus some of you in here really really love the lord and I want you to know that this is one of the most sanctifying. It is a fertile ground for producing the life of Christ inside you as you give your body over. As you voluntarily embrace servanthood for a child that is selfish and self-absorbed. You voluntarily serve them. Talk about the life of Jesus Christ. So many times I have revelation after revelation. I want to be like this man, Christ Jesus. And if it means serving you repeatedly every day and saying, how can I serve you, babe? How can I help you, child? What can I do for you? He became a servant of all. And he didn't despise it. He did. See, we can do that, but we despise it. Everybody loves, this is not my quote, but everybody loves to be called a servant until they get treated like one. Oh, get treated like a servant. Go serve a thankless job and do it repeatedly. That's Jesus Christ. That's the life of Jesus Christ. And he, he grew that in me. So anyway, we're in Tajikistan, and he heals me, and he delivers me of this. And um, nah. <laughs> still have time. Um, yeah, so um, I want you to know, too, that, uh, that um, I... Ah, there's so much. I'm sorry. There's so much I want to say. I just want to, Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me and just show me in Jesus' name. Um, I want you to know I believe with all my heart that those who a lot of ministries, um, ministries that we've been a part of, that Ken and I have been a part of, have done a severe, severe disservice to the women in those organizations by never breathing life into this area. By just saying, go change the world. You can do it. You can make converts for Jesus Christ. And that's true. And that's amazing. But I grew up I grew up hearing all of that. And nothing was ever fostered in me of the call of being a mother. That is something that is, is precious in the eyes of the Lord. And Ken, I, I don't have time to build a whole case for this. But I've written this pitiful book that 
I don't want, I don't, shouldn't even say that because I don't want you to read it because it's so bad. But, um, um, and it's not even published yet, so don't ask me for a copy of it. But um, I, I tried to build a case for this in my book, in that. But it's not just me. I mean, there's other, there's other things that have been written out there that talk about the stripping of, just so you know, this has happened to men too, where men don't even know who they are anymore as well. But I, I'm not speaking on that right now. But anyway, where it's just been so stripped of us. But we've done these women a disservice by not training them and not preparing them. We went through our training at uh, our missionary training college. We went through it like 10 years ago. And I have repeatedly had conversations now with husbands and wives who are out on the field or just men out on the field saying, why were we never taught about this? Like there's these husbands and wives that go out on the field and are like, let's go be missionaries. And these women have these beautiful, beautiful, fiery hearts for the Lord. And they go out there and they get pregnant. They're like, what now? And that's what I was confronted with. That's what I was confronted with. It was, Lord, don't put me in my home by myself. You spoke to me. Do you remember, Father, when I was at that altar and you spoke to me, you said, Lord, I've made you a prophet. I've made you an intercessor. I've made you a preacher. I've made you a writer. You spoke those things to me, Lord, and you're ripping them away. You're putting me in a home by myself. And nobody had said, this is a glorious place, Laura. Nobody said, you remain there in that hidden place. Does anybody know Watchman Nee? Does anybody know Mother Teresa? Does anybody know these amazing saints who have said at the end of their life, the most beautiful thing they did was sit alone in a prison, not with this big powerful ministry, writing unto the Lord, ministering unto the Lord, praying to the Lord. Some of my favorite saints, some of the people that have impacted me the most are those who have these precious hidden ministries. That, that nobody ever sees except in their writing that gets published maybe a hundred years later. But rest assured, the Lord sees that. And if you are living unto him, if your life is unto him, then you set your eyes on him and let him work out all the other stuff. You know, he had put a passion in my heart for writing. And when I felt like he said, okay, you are going to be a mom. And I was like, yes. The first thing I said to him, so Ken was like, okay, let's, you know, have children. I was like, well, I'm healed, but I'm still just kind of working through this. So give me, give me, give me a minute, so, or a month, or three, five, seven. Um, and, and Ken was gracious, and he he gave me that time to just like, what what am I? What is this like? Because I I had no nobody ever breathed life into this in my heart in my life, and it baffles me because now people who don't know me, who come minister to me, or just say, hey Laura, I think I have a word from you, or whatever, I hear the word motherhood repeatedly. Perfect strangers come up to me and they say. The Lord has blessed you and gifted you to be a mom, blah, blah, And so many times I just think, God, how come nobody told me that from zero to 27 years old? How come nobody, nobody, nobody ever spoke that into my life? And that's my calling. I mean, I heard everything else, but how come nobody ever did? And, and I love that God's like, well, that, that can't stop me just because nobody prophesied that over you. I'll breathe life into it. I'll breathe life into that, Lord. Don't worry about that. But I wanted to be a writer then. And you know what's cool is now the Lord's turned it around. I thought I was going to write all these books about, I don't, even, I don't even think I had topics. I just wanted to write. And so, but now the Lord's actually put fire in my heart to write books on this topic. So you feel like, like motherhood will confine you and restrain you into this place of hiddenness, which is a beautiful thing. But, but just so you know, God, when God spoke it to me, he said, Laura, he, he, he so sorry, we're in Tajikistan, God heals me. I go like a couple months later. I'm still kind of working it out. I go into my room. I said, Ken, I just need time. Don't pressure. Blah. It's too much. And so I went to my room to pray, and the Lord spoke to me again. He spoke to me three times in Tajikistan. Changed my life. I feel like that's the only reason we went to this Muslim nation. I mean, I trust that other good things happen there too. But I go into, this, go into my little prayer closet, ugly room, and I'm sitting in there, and God gave me a verse I'd never found before in the Bible. And I, this is, has to be my final. Yeah. 
Anyway, he gave me a verse I'd never seen before, and it was this. I opened up my Bible to Jeremiah 10, 23, and it became my life verse in that moment. And it says this in the NIV. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It's not for a man to direct his own path. I'm going to say it again. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It's not for a man to direct his own path. And God spoke to me so loudly in that moment. He said, Laura, you don't get to choose. I realize you don't want this, and I realize you're wrestling with this, but this isn't your choice. If you have, if you have given your life to him, oh, this is a whole other message. If you have given your life to him, it's not your choice anymore. Yeah. And it was such a precious thing. I wept and I wept and I wept. And we talked about it a long time that time in my room. And I just said, Lord, I, I will, res- I, you, I choose you. My life is not my own. And, and just so you know, that's like a premise of Christianity in general. Good. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's Christianity. It's yeah. not your life anymore. Your life exists purely to glorify him if you've given him your life. That is your entire purpose on earth. And he has a plan and it's not your plan. Ask him what he wants you to do with your life. He is your commander and you go to him and you get your, you get your orders from him. So I'm sitting in that room and he gives me my orders. He said, Lay down your master's degree. Lay down da 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 da. I need you to be a mom. And I'm crying, and I'm like, that's such a stupid. I hate it, God. Like, and I said that I was like, I hate it. I don't want that, you know. And I'm crying. But I finally, at the end of that time with the Lord, I said, I choose you. I choose you. I chose you a long time ago, and I'm choosing you again right now. Uh, yes. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't want to even really. But I choose you. And immediately he spoke something to me. And I love, I love that he said it after I died. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it dies alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And I love that he waited for me to die, and then he gave me my promise. And he said to me immediately when I resigned him, and I said, yes, Lord, I choose you. He said to me, you have no idea the plans I have for you. And boy, did that ignite fire in my high school feeling. It was like... This isn't going to be bad. Not only is this not going to be bad or mediocre, this is going to be amazing. And I want this, Jesus, and I want you, and I choose you right now. And an excitement filled my heart. I didn't see myself as this lonely, like, fat mom in a kitchen cooking, because I didn't even know how to cook. Like, it was just horrible. Like, I'm telling you, I was not prepared for femininity. I wasn't prepared for anything. I wasn't prepared. I believed it was our dual responsibility to share all household chores. And I, I insisted on that when we were first married. Why? Because we both worked. So why should I have to do any of those things? And I still think that there's some validity to that. But that's why the Lord brought me into the home to take I love wearing my role. I love saying I run the home. Ken's the head of our household, but I run the home, and I have to. And I love that. I thrive off of that. And it's been a beautiful place. We were youth pastors at the time, and what happened was I was able to stop, I was able to um, not do all the stuff I didn't like. I just preached. Like There were so many things that came out of my primary role, my primary honorable thing is to take care of my children and in my little 10% of the time there's so many other things I get to do and I get to I get to choose them now before it was like well I have to do them all because I work you know a 40-hour work week but now I have you know one or two hours I get to invest them in the thing I love and so it's been an amazing an amazing ride and I'm I'm with the Lord on it I I will go where he goes and so Ken and I um I want to pray for you tonight I want to challenge you you have all been fed a lot of messages about parenting and even when you get married to wait five years you, you we've all heard these messages on on what to do and i want to tell you so much of that is rooted in fear 
is rooted in, in fear of what will this be like? What will it take away from me? Me, 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 me. You're even thinking that you can orchestrate the best plan for God's return because you can come up with it. And you want to execute that because you know where he needs you as his missionary. You don't know. He will take care of that 1040 window. He will take care of establishing his nation and his kingdom on the earth. He will take care of that. Do you think that he needs you to figure that out? Just say yes to him and allow him to work those things out. I was so humbled in that place. But he, as he puts you in the place that he's going to establish you and he's going to raise you. You're his child. You're his child. He does call you to a place to die, but so did he. So did he. And he did it first. And he will lead you into it. Um, okay, so we just should pray for you guys. Um, so, yeah, we're going to close in prayer. I want to ask that the Lord... Do you have something? Okay. I want to ask that the Lord... Um, um, would heal some of your wombs tonight in the same way that he healed my womb. My womb was cursed by me, and I, I had agreed with it. And I think it started when I was a little kid, but I agreed with it my whole life. And I want to bless some of you women tonight, and I want to bless some of you men tonight. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would do what only you can do. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Is there a worship leader? Or oh, Okay. Hi. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna. I think what we'll do is I'll pray for the women, and Ken's gonna pray for the men. And so, um, yeah, let's just listen. I'll just be silent for a second. We invite you to speak, Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would surface lies right now, that you might bring them before your altar. I just had a picture of one of you taking lies that you've heard or that you've embraced and throwing them in fire, and the and the fire is His presence. Cast it, cast it upon Him. Cast all your anxiety. Cast all your anxiety. So much of this is rooted in anxiety and fear. Cast your anxiety. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Cast it upon him. If there's uh, any women that want specific prayer for this tonight, I want to invite you just to stand where you're at. I'm going to bless you tonight. Don't be afraid. The Lord spoke that to me when when in faith we had conceived our first child, Elijah. I was still filled with fear on what would this look like? How would I ever be a mom when I never had a mom to show me anything? What would that look like? And the Lord spoke to me clearly at the altar one night. He said, Laura, fear not. Don't be afraid. For I will lead you. I have never forsaken you. And I would say that to you tonight, beloved. He has never forsaken you. He has never forsaken you. Father, I ask that you would touch every standing, every woman in this room tonight, Lord. And even the ones who are not standing, if there's something going on with them in their hearts, Lord, I want to bless them tonight in Jesus' name. I bless every woman here. I bless every arms in here. I bless these mothering hands, God. And I pray that you would release compassion. I pray that you would release kindness. I pray that you would release true femininity as you define it. As you define it. I don't even know the definition anymore, but you do, God. And I pray that you would release true femininity, compassion, and kindness. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would restore everything that the locust has stolen. Everything I speak against homosexuality in Jesus' name and how that has taken place. God, in Jesus' name, God, I ask that you would heal us. Heal the homosexual, Lord. I pray a special blessing, Lord, on the woman who's been struggling with homosexuality. The Lord will define your sexuality and he will heal you, precious one, as you come into his presence. Come into his presence and he will heal you. He will heal you. Yes, 
you. I felt like the Lord just said, yes, you, even you, even you, he will heal you. Thank you, Lord. I ask for children tonight, God. I ask for children in the next year. I pray for children. In the next 10 years, I pray for children, Lord. In Jesus' name. I want to pray for the men. If you need, if you want prayer, we'll we'll give a time of ministry later. If you want uh, some of the ministry team here at Communitas to pray for you, but men, some of you, I, I just if, if it's in your heart to say I, I commit myself to the Lord in this way. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to I want to be a, an honorable father. I want you to stand, and I want to pray for you. Psalm 127.5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with the children who are born in his youth. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Man, here's the vision. Here's the vision. You stand at the gate, you have enemies. And you look back and say, those are my boys. You still want to mess with us? That's what it means. When he speaks with his enemies at the gate, he will not be put to shame. Father, I pray for glory, God, on these men. Lord, I pray for glory, God, for honor. Lord, that you would honor them with sons and with daughters. God, that they would not be put to shame. God, that they would boldly stand in the face of their enemy. God, that their strength would be established in their sons. God, that that, that their daughters would shine as radiant ones who please you, Lord, in whom is all their delight. And Lord, for those, God, who have not had it themselves, you are a father to the fatherless. These are your boys. You love your boys. Father, I pray that you would breathe on them, God. Breathe on them the, the spirit of adoption. Oh, the spirit of adoption, God, that there would be that you would establish firmly their sonship. That Jesus, that you are not ashamed to call them brothers. That you stand shoulder to shoulder with them, Father. I pray that you would put in them an unction, God, a desire, God, to fulfill your desire to fill this earth. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, Lord. Bless the wombs of their of their wives, God. Give them courage as men, Lord. Oh God, bless them. Give them your desires, Lord. Place your desire in their hearts. Lord, I pray, God, that they would laugh in the face of those who say three, four, eight, ten children. What are you thinking, God? I pray that they would know the glory that is theirs in bearing children, Lord. That, that it's their glory. That it's their honor. Lord, It's uh, you, you speak of first sons as the first sign of their strength. God, I pray that you would establish their strength in their children, Lord. God, I pray that you would rework all of the the worldliness, God, that's been so worked into all of us. God, that you would make us a pure man. God, whose hearts yearn for you. We yearn to please you, Lord. Bless them, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. 
you guys can sit down just for one other second. When I was praying, I just I just want to speak to this a little bit. Ken and I have lived and worked with people your age in ministry um, and trained to be in ministry for years. And uh, I'm no longer when a girl says to me, Laura, I need to talk to you right away. I, I, I almost always know the issue. <clears throat> and it's um, <clears throat> often it starts with, uh, well, doesn't I won't talk about that one, but almost always homosexuality comes up. And, um, and I'm not shocked anymore at the woman who comes before me and just weeps at the, the sexual addiction she's been in and then how everything's gotten so twisted and then it's gotten twisted with her women friends and female friends. And I want to pray, I want to pray for you guys tonight. I'm not going to ask you women to stand. Um, and I'm not going to ask you men to stand, but I want to pray for the healing of the homosexual tonight. And so if you all can just posture yourself before the Lord, God, I want to ask that you would do what only you could do tonight, God. And I pray that you would heal our sexuality. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would heal my brothers and sisters' sexuality, God. I pray that you would deliver them. I pray that you would deliver them from the demonic strongholds that have have come into their life. In Jesus' name, I ask for a renewal of their minds tonight, God. I pray that you would heal and restore their minds tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would help them renounce, renounce what needs to be renounced, Lord. And I pray that you would love them in that place, God. Love them in that place. I ask for what only you can do, mighty God. I come before you. We come before you, brothers and sisters. Just agree with me in prayer for those that are around you that you might not even know. And ask that we come before you, God. And we ask what only you can do, that you would heal us, God. That you would deliver us of this, deliver our culture of this, God. Heal us of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. I feel like you don't need to be crazy vocal about it, but some of you just need to renounce it. And even if you need to do it under your breath, just renounce it. Renounce any way you've aligned yourself with the homosexual culture or even those thoughts in your mind. Renounce that. Renounce that in the name of Jesus Christ. I, and then I, I also just heard the verse, your healing will quickly appear, and that's in reference to fasting. And I want to encourage any of you who are struggling with this to fast. So if you've never heard about fasting before, talk to your leaders here. There's lots of leaders here, but they can teach you about it. But I encourage you to fast even one meal or two meal or one week or two weeks or 40 days, whatever the Holy Spirit shows you. I just want to, if you don't know what to do, fast one day. Don't eat anything on a day. Just drink water, drink drink whatever you need to drink, and put yourself before the Lord. And his promise is in Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58. That, um, that as you fast, your healing will quickly appear. And I want to ask, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would meet those that are fasting. You would meet those that are starting to fast. You ask, when do I start? Start tomorrow. Start tomorrow. And call, I pray that, yeah, yeah. I ask, Lord, that you would call them to a holy fast for their freedom. He said that he will unloose the chains that have bound you. So many of you are in this place because of incredible abuse. And that he said he will unloose the chains that have bound you. He will release the cords that have restrained you. And your healing will quickly appear. Your healing will quickly appear. Your healing will speak that over you. Your healing will quickly appear. Thank you, Lord. I ask, Father, that you would raise up fathers and mothers, Lord, in discipleship. Some of you think, well, some of you he's calling you to do that right now. Father, I ask that you would raise them up, God. Some of you are actually already called to be a father and a mother, and I don't mean just to natural children, but also to spiritual children. In a ministry we worked with, they said, if you're 30, you're a father. If you're 30, you're a mother. The the generations under you need that. Lord, I pray that you would raise up fathers and mothers to disciple us in this, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
We ask that you would raise up a fatherless generation. I pray that you would raise up fathers and mothers, Lord. I pray your blessing on our brothers and sisters, God, that you would call some of them into this place, that you would release them to mother and father, those that are around them, and tell them some of you had godly parents, and some of you grew up in a godly family, and you need to give that away. You need to teach people and say, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. I'm here to say, bear children. Be a woman. Be a woman. In the name of Jesus Christ, be a woman. This is such a good word, too, about women. I just, I even was reminded of what Paul exhorted uh, Titus about. And he said to encourage, and that's what we experienced tonight, was a, was a, a, a mother that is a leader and an elder encouraging young women that this is an honorable call. That's what he actually says, to be a homemaker, to love your children. And we just come against that spirit of the age that says that somehow you have to be independent and that you have to just go out and do your own thing and that it's less honorable. Hannah was like, Father, give me a son. Give me a son. Give me a Samuel. Some of you are going to raise up Samuels. Some of you, your calling is right across that kitchen table in that high chair. That's your calling. And I bless it in the name of Jesus. I bless that call. Hallelujah. Do you have a song to worship with to kind of close? Yeah, we're just going to sing a worship song. And then what we're going to do is then we'll have some time for ministry. And if you want to come forward, those of you that are comfortable praying with those. I know Kent, you guys are going to be able to stay a little bit and pray for those who want prayer. So we're going to have a song, and then we're going to go into a time of prayer. And if that means you want to break up in small groups, you're free to do that. If you have to go, you're free to do that. The the YWAMers, the Fire and Fragrance team would love to pray for you as well. So make sure you don't leave here tonight without getting prayer. If it's burning in your heart, if your heart's racing right now, get prayer because today's the day of salvation. Thank you so much. Let's give these guys a round. Thank you so much. What a word. Save Dave. What?